0: As you're being seated, go ahead and open your Bibles or turn them on to Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4. Continue our series today, Look Up. And one of the things that we've been doing during this series is we've been encouraging you as you go about your life to identify those moments where the Lord just really inspires you to look up to heaven. So we've been asking people to submit pictures. If you have a picture that you took that you would like to submit, you can send that to office at murphychurch.com. And then every week, Cindy, our illustrious ministry assistant around here, picks one. And that's the sermon logo for this week. So we have a, what would that be called? A pelican? We have a pelican flying, soaring through the air today. And that was submitted by Mark Bailey uh, this week. We had a little mix-up because we had the wrong Mark B uh, we had Mark Booth's name attached to that, but Mark, you didn't take that picture, did you? No. So, well, you can there, you can get a taquito up in the Life Cafe, but you need to say that your name's Mark Bailey in order to get get that, that, that taquito. But anyway, I encourage you, if you have a picture to submit, go ahead and submit that. It's 5.30 in the morning, and the alarm goes off, and you roll out of bed, and your back aches. Your eyes can hardly open, and yet it's time to begin another day. How many of you felt like that this morning whenever the alarm went off? Hopefully not at 5.30. 6 a.m., the kids are now up and eating breakfast. The youngest boy is sick, and the oldest girl is mad. But what else is new? 7 a.m., the traffic report says, watch out for a wreck at 5.44 and 78." But you didn't hear that traffic report until you were at 544 and 78. 8.30 a.m., children have been dropped off at school, and you're now at work. As usual, you are behind. Your coworkers do not seem to comprehend the concept of work, and your supervisor doesn't want to hear it. 6 p.m., you leave work. You go by, pick up some Taco Bell, and head to the soccer fields. Who cares what Dr. Oz says? Talk, Taco Bell can be nutritious. 8 p.m. Homework done, check. Bath, check. Clean kitchen, check. Laundry, check. Mediate fights, check. Prepare for tomorrow, check. Does it ever end? No. 9 p.m. The boy is still sick and the girl is still mad. And your wife tells you rather clearly to quit singing. Can you feel the love tonight? 10 p.m., kids are in bed, and as you get a snack, you stumble over the dog, and you drop the tea pitcher. Glass and tea fly everywhere, and now the dog is drenched in tea and needs a bath. 11 p.m., you've completed the day, and now it's time to drift off to sleep. 2 a.m., your sick boy is crying his eyes out, so you get up and sleep with him in the easy chair until 5.30 comes, and then we begin it all again question for you this morning when was the last time in your life that you experienced genuine joy when was the last time in your life that you took inventory of how you were living and you took inventory of your life and you said to yourself you know what i'm rejoicing in this i truly have a joy in my life philippians chapter 4 and verse 4 is where we are today it's our focal verse And here Paul writes these words to the church there at Philippi. He says, Rejoice in the Lord always. And then he says, In case you were checking your email or thinking about something else, I will say it again. Rejoice. And then he says, Let your graciousness be known to everyone. The Lord is near. Do you remember that video game Pac-Man? A little yellow monster would go around consuming all the dots. Uh, We live in a Pac-Man society. We live in a society where we just consume things. We consume experiences. Have you ever been eating lunch? And before you finished lunch, you were already thinking about dinner. We consume that experience. You're on vacation. And as you're on vacation, you're already thinking about the next vacation. We consume entertainment. Uh, A song comes on the radio. It's a new song. Within two months, that new song becomes an old song. The Cowboys won last week. (laughs) That victory has now been consumed. It's old news. Now we say, let's see what they do today. We consume electronics. Do you remember when the iPhone 3 was the most revolutionary product that we have ever made. And now it's worth 25 bucks in a trade-in. Now, there's some generational realities, too. If you're under 45 in age, then sociologically, when it comes to consumption, we could call you an upgrader. If you're over 45, then you're probably what's called a replacer. Upgraders are always looking for the next best things. Replacers tend to just live with whatever they have. My, my Uncle Wayne was a replacer. He actually passed away. It's been about a year and a half now. And his daughter, Laura, who's my cousin, was telling me the story that she noticed that her dad had this worn-out, old, outdated coffee pot. And so for Christmas... She brought him, bought him a state-of-the-art coffee maker. I think it was one of those Keurigs and everything, just state-of-the-art kind of coffee maker and gave it to him, and she was so proud of it. And and then months passed, and she's over at his house helping him as he's kind of getting his affairs in order, and she comes across the coffee machine that she bought him for Christmas, and it's still in the box. And so she was a little hurt, and she goes, Dad, did you, did you not like the gift that I gave you for Christmas? Christmas, did you not like the coffee machine? He goes, oh, Laura, I loved it. I was just saving it so whenever my other one wears out, then I would have a new coffee machine already. Well, that's how that generation thought. I mean, they they didn't upgrade. They just replaced, and they waited till something wore out, and then they they replaced it at that time. Now, if you're an upgrader, how many of you say I'm more of an upgrader kind of? If If you're an upgrader, then you tend to struggle with overstimulation. You're always looking for the next big thing. And it's easy for you to miss out on joy in life and to not really rejoice in life because you're never satisfied. You're always waiting for the next thing. If you're a replacer, then you tend to struggle with worry. And it's easy for you to miss out on joy in life because you're always anxious. And so as I observe... Our society as a whole today, one of the the observations that I've made is that we tend to live very full lives, but we have empty souls. Lots of stuff in our life, but not a lot of substance in our lives. Now, picture the Apostle Paul. There he is in jail. He doesn't know what tomorrow holds. He doesn't know if this day would be the day that the Roman soldier comes, knocks on the door, and says, I'm leading you to your execution. He's alone. No cell phone. No laptop. No TV. Not even a Whataburger available to him. (gasps) Horrible, horrible thoughts. There he is, all alone in life without much he writes this church in Philippi, Rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord always. And I'm going to say it again just in case you thought I was kidding. Rejoice. When you read the letters of Paul, one of the themes that you see running through all those letters is joy. That there truly is a joy to be found in this life. Now, there's also a reality whenever you read the letters of Paul or whenever you read the life of Paul you see this consistent theme of hardship. So here's Paul. He manages to have joy in his life, even though he went through a lot of difficulties in his life as well. In fact, later on in chapter 4, he says, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly. There's that thought again, that once again you renewed your care for me. You were, in fact, concerned about me but lacked the opportunity to show it. I don't say this out of need. Now, zero in on this. For I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. I know both how to have little and I know how to have a lot. In any and all circumstances, I have learned the secret of being content, whether well-fed or hungry, whether in abundance or in need. I am able to do all things through Him who strengthens me. Now, did you catch that? Whether there's a lot of food available or whether there's nothing available, whether he's in jail or whether he's free, no matter the circumstances of his life, Paul says, I've learned to be content. I've learned that I can persevere, that I can keep going, that God will give me the strength to face what I'm facing. I've learned to rejoice and find the joy of life regardless of the circumstances that I'm in. Now, I admire a man like this. This is impressive to me. This jumps off the page and says, hey, here's somebody that you can emulate in life. This man that found joy regardless of his circumstances. He had somehow tapped into a secret that most of us miss. He had found peace and contentment, and he had found true, lasting, deep joy in his life. Do you remember in your life those seasons where you had true joy? Can you look back and remember those moments where joy was really flowing in your life? Remember whenever you were falling in love with your spouse? I remember whenever Stacy and I first started dating and we were falling in love. And we would go out on a date. And then I would drive home. She lived in Arlington. I drove and I lived in Fort Worth. By the way, when you're dating, you're supposed to go to your homes, not the same home. That's free. So I would go home, and I would call her on the phone. And we would talk on the phone till 2 a.m. after going out on a date. And, you know, it would get really sloppy when it was about time to hang up. Okay. Uh, no, you hang up first. No, you hang up first. Okay, well, let's just do it together. One, two, three. Oh, you were supposed to hang up. You didn't hang up. Oh, I love you so much for thinking of me that way. Oh, It was ugh, you know what I'm saying? But we had joy. Okay, don't judge me. I've got 17 years of happy marriage in the books, okay? All right? We had joy. And we loved each other, and it was flowing in our lives, the, the joy was. Do, do you remember whenever you first started coming to Murphy Road, and everything was new, and everything was exciting, you're like, this is the most awesome church, I, I love this place, I even like the preaching. you remember how far away that was back when you used to have that joy? Do you remember whenever they gave you the keys, and you opened the front door, and you walked into that house, and you realized, this is my home, this, this is my house, this is where we're going to raise our kids, this maybe where grandkids run around, I mean, this is our home. Do you remember when you couldn't wait for that baby to be born and you were counting down the days and you just couldn't wait for the moment whenever that baby was born and you were just still so full of joy and then time passes and joy often goes with it. That man that you fell in love with, now he's just a big mass flesh, sitting on the couch with pork rinds all over his shirt, watching some football game. And that, that, uh, that house that you were so excited about, now it's just an endless series of repairs. And that baby that you were so anxious to be born, now you kind of wish it would just go back in, you know. <laughs> now, let me ask you this question. What is it that steals our joy? And we could probably talk about this for for a long time, but let me talk about three things that I see in life that often steals our joy. Number one, saying yes too often. Now that may have surprised you there. Saying yes too often. It is so easy to fill up the calendar. And we can fill up the calendar with so many good things. That there's no time for the best things. And you look at your calendar and you're like, that's good, that's good, that's good, that's good, but there's no room in your calendar for those things which are really the best. There's no room there for prayer, there's no room for worship, there's no real quality family time. You never really have time just to think. And process life and where you are and what God might be saying to you. Your calendar is full, but there's no soulfulness in you. You say yes too often. Realize every time you say yes to something, you're saying no to something else. When I agree that yes, this is what I'm supposed to do, then I'm also saying no to something over here and sometimes we say yes 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 i'll do this i'll be there i'll do that and we're saying no to our family we're saying no to god we're saying no to those things which are really important now these things that we're saying yes to nothing wrong with them they're good they're fine but they're not the best things you have to learn to say a simple word called no And you say no, not to be rude, not to hurt somebody's feelings, but you say no so that you can say the bigger yes. Now, I know there's some folks out here, you can't say no. You are a salesman's dream. Honey, why do we buy the new car? (laughs) Couldn't say no, (laughs) you know. you, You just can't say no. But you have to learn to say no in order to say yes to those things which are really important. In fact, let's practice this, okay? How many of you are you have a hard time saying no to stuff? Anybody? I'm not going to call you up here on stage or anything like that. Yeah. Okay, we're going to practice saying the word no. Now, here's what we're going to do. I'm going to ask you guys if I can preach for an hour today. And you guys are going to say no, okay? <laughs> now, we got one over here that doesn't have any problem with that, okay? And it, uh, there's always in the church, the, you know, the one, well, preacher, you just preach as long as you want to. That's a lie, okay? They don't really mean that. Uh, they they mean that if I need to go five ten minutes longer that's okay but uh, you know there, there's a cutoff point where it's got to cut off okay so so we're gonna practice saying the word no okay I, I'm gonna ask the question then y'all respond you ready church can I preach an hour today okay okay Mason we gotta try it again just for you okay church can I preach an hour today there we go all right don't you feel liberated Yeah, you feel free and excited because, no, you said the word, no. Okay, a second thing that sometimes steals our joy is chasing stuff. Now, there's nothing wrong with having nice stuff. Christians are notorious about this. We try to make everybody else feel guilty for every nice thing you have in life. Stop that. You're pouring false guilt on your brothers and sisters. It's okay to have nice stuff, but stuff will never bring you lasting happiness. Those things that you buy, those purchases that you stock, they're not going to bring you lasting happiness. Go through your closet today. Go through your garage today. And you'll find things in your closet and garage that you can look back and say, man, I remember when this arrived. I remember whenever I got this. I was so excited about it. And now it's ready to go to Goodwill. Yesterday's got to have it's become tomorrow's Goodwill. And if you spend all your life just chasing stuff, thinking that stuff is going to bring you contentment and bring you happiness, uh, you're going to be chasing the wind. Stuff will not bring you true, lasting joy. A third thing that steals our joy, expecting perfect love from imperfect people. When you have this expectation that the people that you love are always going to love you perfectly, it's going to steal your joy because imperfect people do not love perfectly. Relationships are messy. Sometimes in a relationship, you have to walk through swampland together. People have this weird thing called a mind of their own. And if they would just do everything that you told them, if they would just think like you, their life would be perfect. But no, they've got a mind of their own. And because of that, life is sometimes complicated. Now, not only that, people will disappoint you. And there's times they'll misunderstand you. You'll say something, you'll do something with the best of intentions, and they'll misunderstand it. People will even hurt you and do things that are just evil. Sometimes the glass slipper breaks before the prince finds you. Sometimes Rapunzel's tears don't bring Flynn Rider back to life. There are people in your life that will hurt you, but there's also people in your life that God has called you to to love. When you expect perfect love from imperfect people, you're going to lose your joy. Now Paul says, rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your graciousness be known to everyone. The Lord is near. And I want us to dive in to these two verses, and I want us to pull out three things about joy. Three things about how we can find true, lasting joy in life. The first is this. I can find joy when I understand who I am in Christ. How does verse 4 read? Rejoice in what? Rejoice in the Lord. It doesn't say rejoice in my stuff. It doesn't say rejoice in my circumstances. It doesn't even say rejoice in my family or rejoice in a great turkey dinner. It says, rejoice in the Lord. We find true, lasting joy when we learn to rejoice in the Lord. The, the gospel is such a beautiful truth. The gospel is something to rejoice in. Paul says in Romans 1 that he is not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God unto salvation. As Christians, we never need to get far from the gospel. What is the gospel? Well, The Lord created the heavens and the earth. But then there was a fracture in the shalom of creation. Humankind sinned. And so the creation in which we live is stained by sin. And all of us, when we're capable of moral action, we rebel against the Lord. We are sinners ourselves and we do things that are wrong. We're all sinners. All have sinned. All fall short of the glory of God. And so we find ourselves living in this rebellion at this, this enmity, as Paul calls it, with God. And, and though we sometimes try to do good things, we, we try to love our neighbor, our volunteer in the community, read to children at school, do these nice things, we still find ourselves uh, in need of forgiveness and we still find ourselves stained by sin. So the story of the gospel is that God did something for us that we could never do on our own he sent his son he he intervened into our scene so that we might be redeemed and and Mary brought forth the child there in bethlehem the birth of christ and jesus lived the life that none of us could ever live because we're sinners but he lived a, a perfect life he he never sinned he was arrested he was crucified it was not merely The execution of a man who was a good teacher that truly believed in what he taught. But the scriptures teach that whenever he died on the cross that it was an atonement. That he was making atonement for our sins. That the wrath of God that was intended for sin was poured out upon Jesus Christ. That he absorbed that wrath. That he died on the cross for your sins and mine. That it was not just a swoon that he truly died on the cross. Romans, it talks about the wages of sin being death, that it is appointed unto man once to die. In Hebrews, that all of us have this date with death. Jesus facing death cannot be contained by death, but instead, He rises from the dead. He conquers death, hell, and the grave. He gathers His disciples around Him, tells them to go and make disciples. He gives us a commission that the church is supposed to be about outward movement. And so the disciples start going and making other disciples all around the world. Christ ascends back into heaven and we live in this age in which we live right now. But the scriptures talk about a day of the Lord when Christ will come again and the sin-stained, sin-fractured world in which we live will be restored to the shalom of its original creation. That's the gospel. And the scriptures teach us that when we respond to the leadership of the Holy Spirit in our lives and we believe in Christ, when we place our faith in Jesus Christ, that we are justified, we are pronounced innocent, not guilty of our sins. Our righteousness comes to us through faith in Christ Jesus. And so when you believe in Christ, God no longer sees you on an island unto yourself at enmity with him. You are no longer separated from God, but he sees you in Christ. So whenever Christ rose from the dead, you rose from the dead in Christ, and you have eternal life in Christ, and you have forgiveness in Christ. You are a new creation in Christ. All things are made made new. You see the world differently in Christ. You are forgiven in Christ. Everything becomes alive in Christ and God no longer sees you opposite of Christ. He sees you in Christ and because of that, He invites you to come to Him and say, Our Father, our Abba, who art in heaven, fill me with joy. Fill me with peace because I want to live my life in honor of you, in worship of you because I am in Christ. And Paul Paul says that we are to rejoice in the Lord. Because I'm in Christ and nothing can ever separate me from Christ, I have something to rejoice in no matter what circumstances I'm going through. Nothing's going to change that. You're not going to come and take me out of the Father's hand. Death can't change that. Financial hardship can't change that. People treating me wrongly can't change that because I'm in Christ and in Christ there is deep, abiding, soulful joy to be found. There is delight. There is true purpose and meaning to be found when you rejoice in the Lord I find joy when my graciousness is extended to others. Paul says, let your graciousness be known to everyone. And because I'm in Christ, because I know I'm I'm His and I'm forgiven, I'm living eternally with Him, it, it frees me not to live life just consumed with myself. It frees me to extend graciousness to others. Now, I said earlier that expecting perfect love from imperfect people will rob me of my joy. The counterpoint to that is displaying gracious love to imperfect people will fill me with joy. When you start getting beyond yourself and you start displaying graciousness to others, it it brings to you a a sense of joy. It, It fills you with joy. Grace is the greatest gift that God has ever given us. The word gracious is rooted in the word grace. And so just as God extends grace to us, we extend grace to others and we act and we speak in ways which are gracious and we find our life beginning to fill with true, lasting joy. One of the things that I've learned in ministry is whenever things get tough and if you serve the long, Lord long enough, you'll, you'll go through some tough times. But when things get tough, the easiest way to truly be filled with joy is to start caring about other people. Find some people that are hurting and try to be an encouragement to them. Look for some people that are wanting to learn and try to teach. Let me ask you this question. Who are the people in your life that you can impact? Take inventory of your life, no matter where, where you are, in school, in school, 80 years old, wherever you are, who are the people that you can truly impact in your life? Go ahead and identify two or three people in your mind right now. People that God has brought into your life that you have the potential to impact. And now let me ask you this question. What are you doing to let God's graciousness be known? What are you doing with your life to truly impact somebody else other than yourself? That's where joy is found. When you start extending graciousness all. Thirdly, I find joy when I realize the Lord is near. Paul ends the statement here with that sentence, the Lord is near. God never promises us the answers to our why, but God always promises us his presence in our cries. The presence of God, the reality that the Lord is near, is one of the great promises of Christ. He taught us in John 14, If you love me, you will keep my commands. He said, And I will ask the Father, and He will give you another counselor to be with you forever. When he gave us the Great Commission in Matthew chapter 28, he, he tells us, hey, all authority has been given to me. Here's your assignment. Go and make disciples of all nations, teaching them to observe what I taught you, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And don't forget this, I am with you. I'm with you wherever you go to the end of the age. And because the Lord is near, because we can rejoice in the reality that I have been forgiven of my past and I have purpose in my present and I have hope in my future, because of those truths, it leads us to what we're going to talk about in detail next week and finish with today. Verse 6. Don't worry about anything. Hold on a second. Okay. I'm not supposed to worry. I can grasp that. Don't worry about anything, but in everything, Through prayer and petition with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the passage ends with these words. And the peace of God. And the peace of God, which surpasses every thought, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. So when the alarm goes off. And you roll out of bed. And your back hurts. And you can hardly open your eyes. But it's time to begin another day. It's going to be okay. Get up. Do what's right in the eyes of the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord. Let your graciousness be known to all. Don't forget the Lord is with you. He's not leaving you. He's not forsaking you. Live life like someone who's going to live forever. Because you have eternal life in Him. Would you be so kind as to stand with me, please, and bow your heads? We come to a time of commitment, and maybe you're here today, and, and as I talked about the gospel earlier, the Lord has really touched your heart, and today needs to be the day where you believe in Jesus Christ, not just as a good man or a good teacher, not just as the figurehead of a church, but but you believe in Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. And I would invite you to come and see me today. I'll be here at the front during this next song. I'll be here at the front after church or out in the lobby after church. And just come say, Hey, Lash, I, I need to talk to you about believing, about being a Christian. And you can leave here today knowing that Christ is your Lord and Savior. During this time, I I encourage you to respond. You can sing the hymn. You can pray. You can come forward and pray. You can sit at your seat and pray. Maybe there's somebody that you want to be an encouragement to and pray with them. Feel free to follow the leadership of the Spirit and just pray. Perhaps you're a a writer and there's some thoughts that God has put on your heart and you just need to write those thoughts out. Just feel free to to journal if that's how you, you worship today. Let's pray and then we'll we'll have our time of commitment. Father, we thank you, first of all, that you never leave us nor forsake us. We thank you, Lord, that you have shined light into the darkness and that there is forgiveness to be found and purpose to be found, that hope is real and it's not just hope in the temporal, but it is hope in the eternal. And Father, I, I pray for a congregation, many of which come here today feeling rather hollow, I pray that you might fill them with joy. Lord, help us to realize that there are a lot of things that, that are fun in life, but they don't truly bring satisfaction. So help us, Lord, to rejoice in those things that are eternal, to rejoice in you and what you have done for us, who you are. To rejoice in the reality that we know you and love you. Help us, Lord, to allow your graciousness to flow in our lives so that we might be living water to those that we meet. And Lord, may we be a conduit of grace that as you have extended grace to us, may we extend grace to others. Lord, forgive us for those times where we only think of ourselves. Forgive us for those times where we live as if this world is all that there is. Help us, Lord, to extend the bookend of our life eternally, and to live our lives with true hope, to live our lives as one that's going to live forever. And Lord, we thank you so much that you are near and dear. We thank you that you're in this place. And so we've come here from our homes today to worship your name and to make much of you. And so we offer to you this song, we offer our offerings, we offer ourselves as a living sacrifice of worship to you. It's in Jesus' name we worship, amen.